All right, let's go ahead and get into the message today. Uh, freedom and forgiveness are never free. There was a man and his wife, and they were awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning by a loud pounding on their door. And so the man gets up, and he goes to the door where there's a drunken stranger, and he's standing there in a pouring rain, and he's asking for a push. The guy says, not a chance. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. And so he slams the door, and he goes back to bed. Who was it? His wife asks. Just some drunken stranger, and he's asking for a push. Well, did you help him? No, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's pouring outside. Well, you've got a short memory, says his wife. Can't you remember about three months ago when we broke down on vacation and those two guys helped us? I think you should help him. Well, the man does as he's told, and he gets dressed, and he goes out into the pouring rain, and he calls out into the dark, and he says, Hello, are you still there? Yes, comes the answer. Do you still want to push? Calls out the husband. Yes, please, comes the reply from the dark. Well, where are you? The husband asks. I'm over here on the swing, the man replies. <laughs> it's true, sometimes our memory fails us like this fella who forgot uh, that someone had helped him in the past. It happens to all of us. Our memories fail us. And we might tie a string around our finger, or we might write down important dates and times. We do all kinds of things to help us remember. Calendars are printed to help us remember. Christmas is celebrated to help us remember the birth of Christ. Easter is celebrated to help us remember the resurrection of Jesus. And we have a day called Memorial Day just to help us remember. This day started back near the end of the Civil War. Some people in the South decided to place flowers on the graves of soldiers who had given their lives for the Confederacy. By 1868, the practice of placing flowers on graves had spread both north and south. Early on, it was called by almost everyone Decoration Day, and then after World War I, it became nationally recognized as a holiday when our country pauses to remember the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we enjoy, Memorial Day. Now, you understand that living in this country is a wonderful privilege, we have opportunities and blessings that most people in the world, they don't have. And we need to remember that. But we also need to remember this. A tremendous price was paid by many who gave their lives that we might live in this land and enjoy the privileges and freedoms that are ours. Well, tomorrow we'll celebrate Memorial Day. And many people simply see it as just a day off, a, a three-day weekend. But I'll tell you what, for those who have lost someone because of war or military action, it means much more than simply a day off. In fact, every American ought to recognize this day out of his or her patriotic duty to their country and in honor of those who spilled their blood 
to make America what she is today, free, strong, and a nation worth fighting for. Because men have died for this country, we have the right to preach God's word freely, to gather like we're gathering today. We have the right to live at peace in our homes. We have the right to pursue peace, prosperity, and happiness. Thank God for those who died to make us free. It's critical that we realize if freedom is to be carried on from generation to generation, if our children and our grandchildren are to enjoy freedom, then we must be willing to pay the price because freedom is never free. Freedom is never free. It sounds like a paradox when you say it, but it's true. Freedom is never free. And in the same way, forgiveness is never free. That too sounds untrue at first. But before forgiveness, before forgiveness takes place, there's always a price to be paid. Now with that in mind, I want to call our attention to our text today. It's Luke chapter 7. We'll read from 36 to 50. And in this incident and the parable that Jesus shares in it, these are uh, of particular importance, I think, to us today. So please listen as I read this passage of Scripture in, in Luke 7. And we'll start at verse 36 and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Luke 7, 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped, wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Jesus had been invited to the home of a, a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And this is a very interesting situation because the Pharisees saw Jesus as a threat to their power, a threat to their teachings and to their legalistic system. They saw Jesus as their enemy. Not all of them did, of course, but most of them resented him and they resented his teachings. But this Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus into his home. Now, we're not exactly sure why, but he did. And Jesus accepted the invitation. I want to spend just a few moments describing some of the details of this scene. It's important that I do this so that we have a proper understanding of the context of this story. It was normal when a guest arrived to make him feel welcome by going through certain common courtesies or customary procedures. First of all, his feet would be washed. A guest's feet would be caked with dirt after walking in sandals in the dusty roads. So a servant would greet this person at the door with a basin of water and would wash and then dry his feet. Now after his feet had been washed, the host would come and greet him with a kiss to make him feel welcome and let him know that he was an honored guest. Then it was a matter of courtesy to anoint the head of the guest with some sweet-smelling and cooling oil. Now, maybe it was because of the hot oriental sun. Perhaps some of the men were a little thin on top and slightly sunburned. I'm not exactly sure why, but it was customary to use oil to anoint the head of a guest. It probably, there was probably some Old Testament symbolism and uh, Old Testament uh, protocol involved here also. The important, don't, don't, don't get wrapped up into that. The important thing I want you to understand in all of this is this. The important thing to keep in mind is this. All of these things went together to say, you're welcomed in my home. But when Jesus visited the home of this Pharisee, none of these things happened. Luke says that Jesus sat down at the table without his feet being washed, without the customary kiss, and without the anointing of oil. And then as they began eating, an unusual thing happened. A woman enters the scene, and Luke calls her a sinner. And the word that Luke uses means an immoral woman, a prostitute. She came to where they were eating, probably an outdoor patio of sorts, as they were probably taking advantage of the cool evening breeze. And she fell at the feet of Jesus and started weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and so she dried them with her hair. She broke a, a vial of expensive perfume and anointed his feet and began kissing him. And all the while, you got to kind of picture this now, Simon, the Pharisee, is watching this. And he was greatly offended by what was going on because it was obvious that all the things he had failed to do to make Jesus feel welcome, this woman is now doing. It was offensive 
to Simon. Simon knew what kind of woman she was. So keep in mind that as he judges her, he also judges Jesus. He assumes that Jesus, in not stopping her, is condoning immorality. Simon thinks to himself, if this man really were a prophet, he would know she's an immoral woman. Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. Jesus also certainly knew more about this woman than Simon did. When Simon looked at her, all, she, all he saw was a prostitute, a, a sinner, someone to be shunned. But Jesus saw her as a repentant sinner, a precious soul seeking some way to express her love and appreciation for what Jesus had come to mean to her. I want you to notice a couple of things in this passage that maybe you've not thought about before, but verse 37 begins with these words, when a, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town. It's very important that we notice it does not say who is living a sinful life. It says who had lived a sinful life, past tense. There's sorrow, there's a changed life, therefore there is repentance. Now if your Bible is a study Bible like mine, with detailed notes at the bottom of the page, it'll probably point out that fact. My study Bible, my NIV study Bible says, she must have heard Jesus preach, and in repentance, she determined to lead a new life. In repentance. Genuine repentance there. Sorrow leading to a changed life. In verse 47, Jesus says, her many sins have been forgiven. I think we can safely conclude that Jesus had met her before had already forgiven her. And she had become one of his followers. She was a follower of Jesus. And that's why she followed him there that evening. Jesus goes on to tell a parable about a moneylender and two men who owed a debt. Jesus says that one of them owed uh, the moneylender 500 denarii and the other owed 50 now, rather than try to translate that amount into dollars, let's just remember that a denarii represented a day's wage, one day's wage. So then one man owed the equivalent of 50 days and the other 500 working days. If we were to use a five-day work week calendar, one man owed him 10 weeks or two and a half months worth of work. And the other one owed him 100 weeks or almost two years of work. Two months, two years. And Jesus says, Simon, neither of them could pay their debts. And so the moneylender tells them, I know that you don't have money, so I'm going to cancel your debts. And you no longer owe me anything. Now then, Simon, which one will love him more? Now I imagine that Simon was probably a bit baffled at this point. <laughs> First of all, to think that a moneylender would not collect what was owed him was unreal. Simon couldn't even imagine that type of thing happening with the moneylenders he knew. Secondly, he was probably trying to figure out why Jesus was telling him that story at all. What's the point? He couldn't see the point. 
But he went ahead and he answered the question that Jesus had asked. He said this, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then Jesus says in verses 44 through 47, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Please, please, don't get confused as to the point of this story in parable. The point is not that the woman's sins were forgiven because she demonstrated her love for Jesus. That is not the point. No, the main point of the whole story is that because her sins were forgiven, she demonstrated extravagant love for Jesus. In view of God's mercy, offer yourself. Because of God's love. We love why? Because he first loved us. That's the whole point. The whole point is that he who has been forgiven much loves much. Well, how does this passage of Scripture tie into the feelings of patriotism that we've expressed today or we will uh, think about tomorrow? Well, I think it does. Because freedom and forgiveness are related to each other in so many ways. Number one, everyone is in debt. Everyone is in debt. Everyone is in debt. We're all debtors. Every person in this room is in debt to our society, our nation, and to our God. We're all debtors. We're all debtors. When I talk about being in debt, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're familiar with that. We understand that. An important asset when, you, when you're in debt is a good memory. Because if you don't remember who you owe money to, you're going to have all kinds of trouble. And Simon's problem was he had a poor memory. I imagine when Simon looked at himself, he probably thought, God, you're lucky to have me on your team. I'm pretty special. I've memorized the law. I, I pray beautiful prayers. I do many significant things for you, God. I'm a Pharisee. I've mastered the art of being a Pharisee. God, I'm a pretty special guy. See, what Simon forgot was that he was a sinner. His sins were sins of the heart. He didn't recognize them as sins. So it was easy for him to forget that he needed forgiveness also. He was in debt. He was in debt. Isn't it easy? Isn't that easy for us to do as well? Isn't that easy for us to forget how indebted we are to those who paid a price for us? For those who paid a price to achieve freedom for us? Isn't it easy to forget how indebted we are? Isn't it easy to come to church on Sunday, open our Bibles, and forget those early pilgrims who crossed the ocean to settle in this new land for religious freedom? Isn't that easy? Oh, yeah, you and I are in debt. Terribly so. 
If it wasn't for those who have gone on before us fighting and praying and paying a price for our freedom, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing today. We put hamburgers on the grill and sit around enjoying all the material blessings that God has given us and forget the blood that was shed so that the stars and the stripes could fly in the breezes and we could still enjoy the freedom that is ours as citizens of this United States of America. Folks, we owe a great debt to those who have gone on before us. But we also owe a great debt to our God who has redeemed us and forgiven us. We are spiritually indebted to God. We are debtors. Since this is true, we should live with an attitude of humble indebtedness. Indebtedness. Let me just read a few passages of Scripture, and we'll go on to the second point. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? This is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says this, You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We're indebted to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God. This is uh, Romans chapter 6. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body uh, to sin as instruments of wickedness. And then it says this, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. There it is. Number two. We can never repay that debt. We can never repay that debt. We live in a culture of debt. Most people are very comfortable living in debt. In fact, for the most part, we've come to accept debt as a normal part of life. We are in debt to mortgage companies. We're in debt to credit card companies. We're in debt to car dealers. We're in debt for school loans. If the average person should have their creditors, their moneylenders, decide to collect on everything they owe at once, they'd be in deep trouble. (laughs) Because the average person owes more than they can pay back all at once. Most people pay a little each month. And they certainly couldn't pay it all back if everybody wanted their money at the same time. Now when I think of debt, the debt of freedom that I owe to our forefathers, I realize that it is also a debt that I can't pay back. When I think of the debt that I owe God in heaven for the price that he paid for my sins, I realize that that is a debt that I can't repay either. Now back to our story. The woman came to Jesus, fell at his feet, she wet his, tears, wet, his, wet his feet with her tears and tried to dry them with her hair. She then anointed him with oil. This was an expression of gratitude, J- just an outpouring of her love for Jesus. That's all it was. You say, well, that's the way to pay back God. Listen, folks, she wasn't paying back God. This was not about paying back God. All she was doing was saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. And that's all we can do. We can never pay God back. I'll tell you what, 
but we can roll up our sleeves and we can go to work. We can worship and serve others. We can cry and pray. We can even work at reaching others for Jesus. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. We can do all of that. We can do all these things. Even if we had a a 20-hour-a-day work week for the rest of our lives, we'd never be able to pay back the debt that we owe to God. Since this is true, we should live with an attitude of, of eternal gratitude. Eternal gratitude. Robert McCormick was a sergeant in World War I. He nearly lost his life while saving the life of Major Henry Parkin. Fortunately, both men survived the war. And from that day on until he died 25 years later, in April of every year, Parkin wrote McCormick a letter of gratitude. The last letter Parkin wrote contained this brief note. Dear Bob, I again want to express to you my appreciation for another year of life which I would not have enjoyed had it not been for you and the price you were willing to pay to save my life. I want you to know I'm grateful. Folks, that's why the psalmist said, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. As Christians, we ought to always have an attitude of gratitude. Number three, forgiveness is available to everyone. First of all, we stated that all of us are spiritually in debt. Secondly, we said that we can never repay the debt. Now we're saying that since we can't repay it, therefore we we stand in need of forgiveness from it. And the good news is that forgiveness is available to everyone, but keep in mind, forgiveness is not free. Forgiveness always costs something. For the money lender in this story, it cost him 550 denarii to forgive those who were indebted to him. That's a small amount, perhaps, when compared to the spiritual debts that we're talking about. But forgiveness always costs something. When God said, I forgive your sin, it cost God something. Because before forgiveness, there had to be the agony of Gethsemane. Before there was forgiveness, there had to be death on the cross and a burial and a resurrection. That price had to be paid. The ledger had to be clear before forgiveness could become a reality. But now that it has been paid, it's available to all. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22 Don't you ever forget that your forgiveness came at a tremendous price. Don't you dare ever forget that as a believer. Isn't that also true of our freedom? The price has been paid. It's available to all of us in this land. And that's why we rejoice at the Declaration of Independence. That's why we rejoice in the Statue of Liberty. Because freedom is available to all in this great land. Today, God's forgiveness is available. He offers it to you through Jesus Christ, his son. The price has been paid, and he invites you to receive it. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Since this is true, we should live with an attitude of willing surrender. And this is why the Apostle Paul said, Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you see, everything we do as recipients of this amazing forgiveness should be an act of selfless love given back to our Savior, just like the woman in our story. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. Our lives represent uh, love given back to our wonderful Savior. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Folks, that's who we are as believers. We give ourselves back to Jesus as servants. We follow his example. It was February 1941, Auschwitz, Poland. Maximilian Kolb was a Franciscan priest put in the infamous death camp for helping Jews escape Nazi terrorism. Months went by, and in desperation, to, uh, in desperation, an escape took place. Well, the camp rule was enforced. Ten people would be rounded up randomly and herded into a cell where they would die of starvation and exposure as a lesson against future escape attempts. The names were called. A Polish Jew, Frandeshek, Gesonicek was called. He cried, wait, I have a wife and children. Well, Kolb stepped forward and said, I'll take his place. Kolb marched into the cell with nine others where he managed to live until August 14th. This story was actually chronicled on an NBC news special several years ago. Gesonicek, by this time 82, was shown telling this story while tears streamed down his cheeks. A mobile camera followed him around his little white house to a marble monument, carefully tended with flowers. The inscription read, In memory of Maximilian Kolb, he died in my place. Every day, Gasonicek lived since 1941. He lived with the knowledge I live because someone died for me. And every year on August 14, he travels to Auschwitz in memory of Kolb. The Bible says, greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. This Memorial Day, let's remember those who have gone on before us, laying down their lives for our freedom. But even more than that, let's make sure we remember our God who is willing to lay down his life for us to ensure our eternal freedom. During your communion this morning, once again, I would just encourage you to quiet your heart, come before God and and ask yourself if Jesus is truly Lord of your life, the master of all that you are. And if not, 
Now is a great time to remake that commitment. The emblem, the bread and the juice, they simply represent Christ's body that was broke, his blood that was shed on the cross for you and me. They're meant to be a reminder of what Jesus did for us on Calvary. It is through his death, his burial, and his resurrection that he made it possible for us to have a relationship with the Father. Our time of communion is open to all who have surrendered their life uh, to, to Christ. Uh, the men will come forward and serve our uh, communion after a short prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for your word, for your love. Lord, uh, as we leave this place, would you help us to remember? Would you help us to remember the price that was paid for our freedom? Beyond that, Father, would you help us to remember the price that was paid for our forgiveness, our eternal freedom. God, as we go through our upcoming week, could you place upon our hearts a burden to live differently because of that? Could you help us, Lord, to be followers of Jesus like this woman in our story, this sinful woman in our story, the sorrow and changed life? That's who we want to be, Lord for you. Could you help us to be like the woman in our story this week? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.